Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Phil Tiger Slacker Podcast Hello Slackers, I hope you're all good I hope you're all staying safe and I hope that you are ready for another in the award-winning, spellbinding, incredible, jaw-dropping slacker podcast. I I have absolutely no idea what number we are on in terms of all series and in terms of this series. I think we're on six. I think we might be on six or seven. And um, hello to all of the new listeners who have jumped on in series three. And I tip my hat and show massive respect to all of the people who've been listening to the Slacker podcast from the the very beginning. Um, Outside of this podcast, I do a show on BBC Radio 1. It is called The Chiller Show on Planet Earth. And I just play all sorts of wavy, um, soft focus, just like proper chill out music on a sunday at 7 p.m and the majority of it's all quite quite new and hopefully stuff that you won't have heard before i try not try to stay away from too many of the classics but you gotta throw a couple in um at the same time so you can get me there also just before we get started um i did a thing called the melancholy social um which is a new mix series which i'm uh, starting on youtube and it's it's partially there to keep me sane I love making mixes and I love putting together mixes of like really blissed out headspace music and I've just decided to start doing them. So there'll be a link in the description to the the melancholy social mix and who knows once all this is uh, all over whenever the hell that may be um, maybe I'll start a melancholy social club to go along with it. Of course the Slacker's Guide to the Music Industry as everybody knows um, is out uh, it's a book for anybody who is um, playing music uh, that breaks down the various different facets of what you need to do to release music and it's available from my website philtaggartslacker.com and mad love to uh, all of the new people signing up on Patreon which is massively obliged, uh, keeps the podcast wheels turning 
and will hopefully keep me going up until season four, five, six, seven, eight, um, depending on how everything goes. It's slacker.com forward, sl- sorry, no, I got that wrong. It's patreon.com forward slash slacker podcast if you want to sign up to that. Um, this week's podcast is with Jimmy Eat World. It is with Jimmy himself, Jim Adkins, uh, a band that started in 1993 in Arizona in the US. They are Jim, Zach, Tom and Rick. Their 10th record, um, Survivor, came out uh, late 2019. And we think we recorded this around about the same week it came out. So I think this was time stamped as October 2019, back in the long, long ago, before all of this in the long long time ago um as you will tell at the very end of the podcast when i ask him about uh are they playing reading and leeds this year which is um, a big resounding no because nobody is um but yes i, I will stop uh, uh rambling on i find that like the, a lot of the podcasts i'm listening to at the minute have 25 minute intros so i'm going to stop boring you and i'm going to get to the chorus right now this is a slacker podcast with jimmy Eat world in three, two, one. This is the Slacker Podcast. I'm with Jim Atkins from Jimmy Eat World. Hello. Hey. hey. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is bringing this is bringing the energy. I think that I, I've got a cup of tea here, and that. Has papped me more than the caffeine will. Yes. Can we keep this up? I don't know. For a whole sixty minutes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? You well? Yeah. Yeah. Things are good, man. We're we're uh, we're in London for the week of our new album's release, which is something we don't often get a chance to do. So we're really excited. Why, why do you come to the UK with that? Is like is the UK like a sort of spiritual home where you have to like release the album out into the, yes. the wilderness? It's like we're opening the cages and the, the doves are flying <laughs> flying free. I always wondered like you've launched a couple of albums now. Has there ever been like a launch where you've been like right that one didn't work or that one was amazing? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Like do you not because like, like your record you've had a couple of different record labels over the years. Mm-hmm. Record labels always like to come up with these plans of like releasing albums. So they set, do set up like things, do things. I don't know. I don't know. I've like I'm, I played in a shitty band that never got signed. Yeah. So like I, I kind of like live vicariously through the stories of you. I'd like to keep the myth going that that happens, <laughs> but really it's it's a lot less exciting. Um, you've got a show with Biffy tonight, Biffy Claro. Yes. Correct. We're we're rocking out with those dudes tonight. That is that is the ultimate lineup right there. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, big time. We're excited. Are you close to those guys? Do you like? Uh, do we go. You, do, we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we you know first got got hooked up because of our mutual love of vintage Alfa Romeros. Right. Yeah. yeah. We, go, we go antiquing a lot. <laughs> vintage car shopping all the time. I don't even know if you're being serious or not. I know that's right. right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the point. <laughs> the thing is, at, at this stage, I've like I've met Simon oh, so, yeah. so many times. No, he's an interested dude. Like he, he, could, he, he, could, he could, that man could be into antiquing. He, like he could spend half of his day shining Just, brasso onto um, yeah. doorknobs for all. No, I, I love it. You know. It's, <laughs> The reality is everybody's just a nerd who has a lot of like confidence issues. That's that's the less that's the least exciting aspect of it all. I always find that like 
a lot of my friends who play in bands and a lot of ones that are musicians have got their thing outside of music that keeps them sane. So whether it's mm. like sports or it's comics or it's like m- manga, I don't. Maybe I don't that's <laughs> been my problem. Do you know? I don't, I don't have a you thing have that a keeps thing? me sane. So I'm like, <laughs> I, mean, I maintain this relative level of insanity all the time. But that's all right as long as you like maintain it and it, 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 right. it stays that way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think like you get used to it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Cause like, yeah, but like uh, my friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine who re- remained nameless, like it was coming, coming home every night and he like, you know, worked in the music industry and you could just see he just like was completely losing love of, of music. And he was like, the only thing that keeps me going in music is the fact that I l- l- like sports and all the rest of it, where I was a, of the opinion going, I just like, I just like records when I come home. Yeah. I just, if I don't like something, I just change it and listen, I'll go listen to folk. I'll go listen to electronica. If I get bored, I, I move. Sounds. I could see that. I could see that. You know, if you work, um, if you are, if you're, if you're, if your gig is like the, um, music industry. Yeah. Maybe not, maybe not exact, maybe not like the creation of music, but if like, if you work at it, I've always, I've always felt sympathy for people that work at, at labels because especially bigger labels, because it's not, it's not up to you what records come across your desk that you have to work. Yeah. It could yeah. be something, it could yeah. be, you know, like yeah, I know when you think mean. about that, it's like, here's this record I don't like, I don't know anything about them. This music is totally, this kind of music is totally not my thing at all. And it's my job to have it succeed somehow within the, 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 the frame of what I do. See, I get that quite a lot. Like I do a, a program on, on radio one and on, on the BBC mm-hmm. and I get to pick my own records. Um, so I get to play, play whatever I want. Um, right. During but, the week. But, so I have people coming to me with, with like radio pluggers going, you got to play this. It's the best thing ever. And there's salality. And you, you know, those people and you're like, Oh, you don't like this. What are you doing? I imagine, I imagine <laughs> though, like that at some point, at some point you, it becomes a, you have to neg- negotiate that line because like if your podcast gets huge, and you start getting real like money for advertisements, then you kind of have that pressure of like playing up to that somewhat, and you might have to take on, like, yeah, you can't, you can, you can just say, I, I do what I want to do I think all though, the time, but then there's a little bit of, there's going to be a side of you that that kind of lets in that window, like, well, this this <laughs> makes sense commercially. I should put, I should do this. I like, I don't I've, know. I've always thought like the podcast thing is something I do because like there's there's absolutely no rules, and you can get whoever you know you absolutely love on like like the last interview i did was with a italian composer called ludovico ionaudi um and now i get to interview you which is incredible i'm getting to interview people who whose music i absolutely adore and and respect and i think the 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 more commercial it gets and the more money it turns over which it doesn't by the way <laughs> right uh, yeah um but you podcast people taking helicopters you, everywhere you're thinking of joe rogan like <laughs> joe, joe like joe joe rogan is like different right. gravy he's like podcast zero ground zero like you know he like somebody told me the figures that he gets for his podcast and it's like it's disgusting <laughs> but it means you have to yeah. go on and talk about mma and dmt <laughs> you do i mean uh, yeah I guess so. Unless you got cons- maybe we should talk about conspiracy DMT. theories. Maybe we should talk about DMT aliens and, and MMA. And maybe that's where this maybe that's where the slacker thing's going wrong. Oh, I was like, shit, you're right. <laughs> I actually do. I do quite enjoy talking to people who are really convinced on conspiracy theories because I love like listening to them out. 
and just agreeing with them. And then I think listening to people who are passionate about something, anything, yeah, it, it, uh, you know the the worst thing isn't necessarily having like a, a having a, a perspective you disagree with. It's having like no perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like having absolutely no <laughs> opinion. Yeah, just like uh, I don't know. Yeah, but like, people who don't vote at all, like and don't care. Like I don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah, but those pe- those are the people that have no opinion in real life when you have a conversation. Right. But yeah, the ones, no, once like, they get behind the keyboard, how do you how do you how have you made it this far with just no opinion? <laughs> what, do you, what would you? It's like how freeing that must be. Uh, uh, in a way, I'm envious because like it's like uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like <laughs> who who does that? How would you ever eat in a couple? What are we gonna have for dinner tonight? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, do you want do you want like takeout? Do you want like uh, home cooked? How, how do you become a couple with someone if you're? <laughs> Do you want to go out? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, will we try? <laughs> okay. I don't know. I wouldn't. Dude, like, you do need people like that, though, to play in a band. Because if you've got four autocrats um, in in the one band, I always find that it becomes quite dangerous. You need... Uh, good bands normally have one visceral leader and a couple of sort of generals and well, colonels. Yeah, I mean but I think there's you definitely need a shared sense of what you, you know, qualify as good. You definitely need that shared sense yeah. of aesthetic that you are on the same page with. I think that's different than not having an opinion though. Yeah, true. That is very true. Um, I want to get into the demo now. At the, at the very beginning of every podcast, we play um, a demo. And the one that we have got that has been queued up by my good friend Barney uh, right now, got a thumbs up, um, is a demo f- table for glasses. Just for me 
That is a demo for uh, Table for Glasses, which is the opening track of the 1999 record Clarity. Am I right? Correct. I'm, I don't have to fire my researcher. Um, right. Yeah. And so what, what, like, to tell me a little bit about that, that recording, like where it was recorded. I think I recorded that at, um, when I still lived with my parents on a, a cassette format four track, which is where I did most of my early demos on stuff. Um, that one is kind of special and, 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 and different because it's right at the beginning of when I started really getting into writing, writing songs. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd had a couple albums, out, but you had two albums out by that, by that yeah. stage. So what, what, what do you mean writing yeah. songs? <laughs> I mean, like, what, 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 I mean, what was, what I mean, was on exactly the first two that, albums? Like writing songs. <laughs> the first two albums, I think. Well, Static Prevails, I think we were slowly trying to find our own identity, our own musical voice in a way. Mm. Uh, and, you know, the material going from Static Prevails to Clarity is when I really got into like trying to trying to trying to uh, explore more stuff just on my own instead of like with the, the band. Because everything I think most of the material in Static and everything we did before static was a product of jamming. Yeah. Yeah. You know, stuff like, um, and not to say, but that's not what we do now. Or that isn't what we do now. I mean, but there's, there's never been any rules for how we write. Like an idea can come together in any number of ways and, and does. You can be a studio band. You can be like a, a personal writer, right. writer at home. You can do it yeah. always. Yeah. But I mean, and, and, but I think like going from static reveals to clarity, like I just added a new way, which is like, you know, me trying to demo out an idea. It's like, I have an idea. Uh, band practice isn't until, until Thursday. It needs, uh, it needs time. I, I should, I, what if I just did this? How did you record it? Is that like a, is that like a layered process? Yeah. Like, did you, did you go and play that sort of sparse minimal yeah. drum beat? So, I mean, what I would do in those days is like, uh, you know, obviously there's more than four tracks on there. What I would do is, is I'd put like a metronome, I'd record with a microphone, like a metronome on track three or four, depending on what I kind of, you sort of have to like anticipate several steps down the road mm-hmm. before you do the first thing. So I'd record something, I'd record usually like a metronome on track four or three. And then I record like a guide guitar track, which usually ended up being the guitar track. <laughs> and then maybe one other musical element. And then what you do is like you submix those down to like track four, which frees up tracks one, two, and three for fresh stuff. That's when the vocals get busted. Yeah. Out. Well, and then that, you know, then I'd, 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 I'd normally do vocals kind of last because I'd want control over those because whatever you bake into the cake is done. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it is. Or you got to start all over from, you know, recording a metronome track again. Mm -hmm. So then I I record like maybe a bass guitar or another guitar on tracks two and three. And then I mix those all down to track one, which opens up three new tracks. (laughs) And you just kind of, you just sort of like add two extra things and then make a sub mix of that, bounce it over to the like track one or track four. And you can kind of go indefinitely until your cassette breaks. Is there like a romance around the way you record those demos with the four track that that's dead now with like you know garage band or do you is it just a tool? Um, 
you know, there's a level of musicianship, I think, that you have to figure out no matter what you're doing with, you know, unless unless it's like you performing, you know, everything once live. Can you do that though? Like, you know, like the sort of the old Dave Grohl way of um, recording the first few Foo Fighters albums, we could sit down and just record everything. If you wanted to sit and um, record a, a whole album by yourself, do you have I the, could. Ca- the capacity to do that? I could. I'm not the best drummer yet though. Yeah. You mean yet? Like, are you are you taking lessons or no? Like, I'm not no? taking lessons. Yeah, I. You know what's funny is, is um, you know, our drummer Zach is really the the he he he's he's pretty for for. I mean, as kids, you 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 mess around and play in bands and jam with other people, but he's really the only drummer I've played with. Um, I mean, at this at this point, I can say that. Uh, so it's funny because what what the the kind of drumming that i do is just based off of like stuff he does yeah okay. and, what's, and what's funny is, so it's like i'll do like a fill or something or i'll do like a beat or i'll i'll obviously it's like a simplified version of something that i pick up from him uh-huh. so then like i'll i'll lay it down and then i'll send then i'll show him and so like he's doing he's doing an a, a, an exaggerated version of a, of me doing a simpler version of him. <laughs> this is like wearing your like bigger brother's t-shirt. You'll never fill it out the same way. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. So it's 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 really it's really kind of a a meta bizarre <laughs> wormhole. What what was it like um growing up in Arizona like as a as a kid? Like was it was it like a sort of a, m- a musical household that you grew up in? Um you know, my father played guitar recreationally, mm. so like music stuff was always around. Was it pushed on you, or were you, were you somebody that would like go and seek it out? No, I mean, my parents made me take piano lessons when I was I little. I think everybody's parents, like I think I did two piano lessons, yeah. and they were just like, listen, the, the kid doesn't want to go. Yeah, no, I think it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, everyone should be forced to learn piano. But <laughs> after a while, but there is a point where it's like, it's got to be your idea. Yeah, you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we all know those kids that were like forced to practice an hour yeah, a day. Yeah, hate it. And they're all weird now. <laughs> they're all weird. Yeah. At some point, like, are you living out your secret dream through your kid, or are you empowering your kid to chase their dream? Yeah. At yeah. some point, it has to be their idea, of course. Um, and at that point where it became my idea, I decided to switch to guitar. I was like, you know what? I'd rather do guitar. And and your dad shouted Judas at you like when Dylan went electric. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, uh, you know, the guitar thing kind of stuck. What age was like, uh, did you start playing guitar at? Eight. That's very, that's very young. It's very young. I like uh, most of my, my friends play music don't get into it until a little bit later. Yeah. What, yeah. Can you remember, was kind of young. Can you remember the first thing you, you were like proud of playing? Like were you, were you sort of brought out in front of the no, family to play stuff no i couldn't really do anything great i don't have like a first song i remember playing mission impossible theme tune i think was the like it was it was easy version of that yeah the first you always remember your first riff it's like your first and then once i got a little bit better it was come as you are Oh okay, yeah, it was come as you well, are. That's cool. Yeah, it was a, it was a cool one. We got got Nirvana, but there, there's those there's those certain certain songs that teenage bands will always play, and that will always cover. There's certain songs that, and one of them is yours. 
there are certain songs that the musical instructor makes the teenage bands learn, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Well, when when my band started, we had to, you know we couldn't we couldn't play um, very well at the start, but when we got a little bit better, we started covering songs. And I'm pretty sure the third or fourth song that we ever covered that was any good was the middle, because um, we were about fourteen. I think we had "Teenage Kicks" by the Undertones nailed the middle, which I at the start played on the wrong string on the bass which sounded really 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 good yeah and an oasis track that's okay man i've done that before (laughs) (laughs) um so when when did the band sort of get together if you started about eight you must the band must have come in your teenage years yeah our um okay so like i stuck with guitar i was really fortunate that i had um instructors who were encouraging and not necessarily like, you know, strict. Um, and cause then like after I got, you know, the, the, over the, there's, there's a physical awkwardness in learning an instrument, you know? Um, and that's especially hard with guitar, I think, cause it's really, it's, it can be painful. Yeah, it's very painful. When uh, you learn. and it's awkward, like fretting notes with your, with your, with your hand that frets notes. But if you're, able to keep it fun then you can kind of push through that and i was i was fortunate because like when i pushed through that then i I moved to instructors that were i wanted to know more Mm -hmm. and i was i had instructors that taught me more um and uh you know i think um growing up I would re- I reached that point where I wanted to learn more and I was kind of, you know, over the technical proficiency hump. Um about the same time that our our drummer Zach was, you know, playing playing drums. And I knew him. His mother his mother actually taught our preschool class. Oh wow, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, and that was that was maybe so you were like 12 Four, 12 to 14 ish area crazy so when you would go over to, did he have a drum kit in his house yeah he had so a drum kit in his house he's one of the only kids i knew who had a drum yeah. kit in their house so he had to be in the band <laughs> yeah well i mean there weren't bands then yet like yeah we, we, we would jam yeah like i'd come over to his place and we'd we'd play metallica songs because that's what oh, i amazing how to play what sort of like i mean that's pretty proficient in itself oh, i couldn't like, do any of the solos no but even but like still the, like the riffs the, and stuff the like riffs i still like to this day can't play the bass line the master of puppets it's yeah too, it's too fast all that that's tough that's tough all that like shred and stuff like you must have had a, a good a good shred shreddy riff well that's you. all i did yeah, yeah i'd come home from school and just like shred for I'd, I'd, I'd just play and justice for all from start to finish like for four hours that's all i did in junior high it's one of the best ways to actually learn and get into an instrument is actually playing playing along with an album I used to yeah. I used to do the the bass to the Stone Roses debut album. When I went yeah, because then it's sort of fun. You're you're like playing along with the record. It sound it, even if you're messing up, it sounds like you're doing something because <laughs> you, you have the record there. Yeah, and you just close your eyes and you're like you're probably playing off a 15 watt Fender amp or something, and you're just like I'm right. a, I'm part of this man. This is me. yeah. There's the karaoke effect of it all. Yeah, but uh, when your your sort of imagination is you're coming off being a kid into being a teenager. And your imagination is still really, really, really big at, at that stage. Right. So you can imagine when you're like shutting your eyes and playing that you're up there like playing with. Yeah, of course. Of course you're, of course you are. Yeah. 
Did you did you have that sort of ambition when you picked up the guitar that you were like going, this is something I do for fun, but also I'm going to be like the one of the biggest bands ever. Never, never. No, because it always... it's it's so it's so big over here. Um, that way of thinking because of probably because of Oasis every young band that picks up a guitar now is it's drummed into them to think that they have to think that they want to be the biggest band in the world get ready for disappointment <laughs> <laughs> there's, no, there's not enough room for everybody at the end guys there's not enough room for everybody like in the sea level tier yeah no true when you think about it now it's like um uh like in America, like the terrestrial radio stations, um, the kind that would play rock music or like modern rock music, yeah. like what we do. Uh-huh. Um, so you have an hour of programming. How many other bands bigger than us have massive hits and how many of those people have new records coming out? And how many of those are going to get played in an hour with commercials? I think that's part of the reason why a lot of American bands debut their music on Radio 1, where where I do my show. Like, a lot of them would, like, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the past they would do it with Zane Lowe. At the minute they would do it with Annie Mack. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, and, and a lot of them will will give the, the Queens of the Stone Age, like, for, for, for example, or whatever, right, will go... Right, we need to drop our album somewhere, and it'll be there because. <laughs> Where the, are we going to drop this? Because there's no, you yeah. don't really have. Like, I know there's there's some great DJs out there, like KCRW. We've got right Jason Kramer and right, but um, if, unless you're in Orange County or or the LA you're, you're area, you're not hearing it. I mean, you're not or listening online somewhere, but that's that's not that's a, that's not a ton. But people. even like the bands like the Strokes and the Killers broke over here way before they broke. Yeah, in in the U.S., what was it like for for you guys? Because I feel like maybe you guys probably broke from the U.S. and then in to the U.K. Yeah, I mean, we were a band for maybe six or seven years before we did our first gig over here. What what when was that? Like, so you started in ninety three, so what, like ninety nine? The people, the pe- like that's when Clarity came out. So, like, the people know your stuff. Our first gig in the UK was opening up for Weezer at Shepherd's Bush. Oh, sick gig. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got the before, ticket stub for that. that. That was before that was before Bleed American was released, I think. Yeah, it was like the summer before Bleed American was released or early. I lo- I love hearing stories about great support bands who got on to like do do amazing things. Yeah. Like the one in Belfast that I always um hear about and I miss that in the show because I love both bands was like the libertines supporting supergrass oh and no I, way and i was like oh my god how, how was i not at that show um just going back to to arizona for a little bit what sort of like what sort of like teenagers were you guys were you like grungers goths punks freaks geeks or just we were sir you nor- know i normal felt dudes i mean i'm sure some i'm sure other people might have a different opinion of me but i always felt like <laughs> at home with everybody you know, I, I sort of floated in between all those. You weren't you weren't getting bullied by a certain group, or you just weren't. No, because like, as a young kid, I was yeah. into sports. Right. Like, okay. Like, like recreationally, Captain seasonally. Football team. Were you good? No, I wasn't good. Okay. Uh, but I, I I was into it. What'd you play? Uh, basketball was was kind of my main thing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I wasn't any good. But I was friends with like all those kids. So like when I got older, I I was still like friends with them like the people that stayed with sports, but I wasn't like one of them. 
So they'd, they'd walk past you in the corridor and they'd be like, there's Jim plays guitar. No, yeah, yeah that's Jim. He plays guitar. It's cool. <laughs> like, he's cool. Yeah. Being in a band wasn't cool when, uh, when you were a teenager. Yeah, like, there weren't, there weren't, like, now there's, like, Disney shows that are dedicated or school, of schools where everybody is in a band. Yeah. Like, that wasn't how, that's not how it was. Like, you, you weren't. You're in Glee Club. You weren't cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Singing was cool. Like, chorus was cool. That's not, that was not cool when you were my age. Yeah. Like, you were kind of a freak. You're no, you were definitely a freak. Like if you played in, if you had a band, like yeah, that's cool. But really, I don't know. I, I, I never felt cool because of 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 the music side of things, for is, sure. Isn't that where like why bands start though? It's like and it's the same with like yeah. skating community as well. Like like people who feel yeah. a little bit disenfranchised. Yeah. gather together and make their own shit. As teenagers, it was like music and skating was like the things that, that were really the dominant outlets for us. Yeah. Did you did you guys go through some iterations of band names before you come on Jimmy Eat World? I love first band names. Yeah. Like uh, No, that was that was the first one. Was that the first one? Yeah. Wow. It was it was a short list and can you remember maybe what, maybe what else was on it? No. <laughs> I think that was pretty much it. Maybe we should have looking back, maybe yeah. we should have had a couple others. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, like we we had like I think my band had one. What was it? I got a I got under a the influence, and then we oh, realized there was a rap group called that. I got a huge <laughs> list now of band names. Do, well, oh, do you do? I I love coming up with a good fake band name. Do you I actually? Have, I, I, do I have hundreds? Oh my god! I have hundreds. We're 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 definitely twinning on this. I've named a couple of bands over the years. A friend of mine started a band not too long ago. He didn't have a name for it, so I said, "Why don't you call yourself the Dot Com Millionaires?" <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oh, "Yeah, yeah. Like, sir, taking like, that." It's not exactly a pun. But it's but it's like playing on other words. I got it. Yeah, go on, hit me. Oh, my favorite one. My favorite one. I'm I'm, I'm actually I'm probably definitely going to turn into a band name. I'll pretend to be a manager, right? Yeah, Big Diction, Big Diction. <laughs> I can see you guys. I can see. <laughs> That's good, right? That's really good. Like sort of three quarter length trousers, baggy. Or am I, am I, think, am I thinking more new metal than post No, I mean like no effects and propagandi yeah. and mm-hmm. and. Uh, but then, but then we were also. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. We're also really into um, um, like the, the, the kind of, the kind of the kind of music that was coming out of San Diego, like Rocket from the Crypt and Drive Like Jehu and Tanner Creedle, <laughs> even like the um, um, you know, and also like the stuff stuff that was happening out of Chicago, like the the amphetamine reptile touch and go stuff, and then you know some of the stuff that's coming out of D.C., like all the Discord material, um. But it was weighted more on the pop punk stuff. Like, yeah, that more more like the no effects, I guess. Did you have ambitions to go harder, but like the melody prevailed? Like, I mean, like the you guys are like the 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 princes of melody in my in my eyes, anyway. Like, like at, at that stage, did you know? Because obviously, you weren't singing at the at the very the beginning. idea of going harder wasn't never on our radar. No. Like that was that was that was the just what was interesting to us was like the more melodic side of things. Yeah, Yeah. And then you, you took, like, I think, what, you formed 93, released the album 94. Who the fuck does that? <laughs> I well, got, I mean, our band was together for nine years and we didn't put out an album once. We were just putting out EPs, doing that there. Like, you, you feel like, it feels like you were a very resourceful band and you, like, knew that the way to do it was to get on tour and release albums and do it straight away, which is amazing. Um, yeah, I feel like we were, we just loved making music together and writing was really easy. Um, so we had a lot of material and we were, we were, we were, I don't know. Nothing we've ever done has been like some savvy plan. It's all, we've yeah. all just, we all luckily just, we've always just luckily done the thing that made sense in the long run uh-huh. anyway. Write good music and then the rest will follow. Right. I guess that's, you know, it, it is that simple. It, it is like, I mean, people I, I, make it a lot more complicated I, than I, it needs to be. I go to a lot of like industry events and stuff like that and do a lot of talks and from, because like, I run a small DIY label and have for a couple of years and it, everything can be summed up into one sentence. Just, yeah. <laughs> and it's just that, right? Good, good music and the rest will follow, but nobody wants to hear that. Everybody yeah. wants to figure out what their marketing plan is before hit, they've written four tracks. A hit will transcend all. It, yeah. Very, very, That's tr- it. very true. And like, so at what point did... Did you start getting industry attention? And I guess, I guess, as we're talking about it now, like when did labels and managers and booking agents and all the like start um, sniffing around your band? Uh, late nineteen ninety nine. So from so you were releasing those albums and doing it yourself at the at the very beginning. What like th- th- those tours must have been I difficult. Well, I mean, I wouldn't count the first couple records on Capitol. Static reveals and clarity. Mm. Yeah, Capital put those out, but um, <laughs> no one knew who we were. I mean, that. But is that not their job? Like, if if if, if Capital Records was absolutely huge, huge, huge behemoth of a record label, comes and signs um, a band out of obscurity, which you basically were at that yes. at, at that stage, complete obscurity. Yeah. Um, then their job, and I, I mean. Like we're 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 sitting in a major record label right now talking about this, but it, it, their job is to get eyes on on your band, right? So they, I mean, yeah, but they're set up to 
they're set up to really drop the hammer on someone that is is has a little bit of momentum on their own. Mm. They don't know what to do with a band whose complete whose total catalog is like three thousand records sold out of five releases. They you know, they yeah. don't know what to do with that. Yeah. They know exactly what to do with someone who's selling like thirty thousand copies a week. Yeah. They but know exactly what to do with that, but they have no idea what to do with us. That's the benefit of hindsight though. Like when when I, I well, I imagine when Mr. Capital Records comes to or Mrs. Capital yeah, Records comes to your door, you guys are probably jumping up and down going, Oh shit, yeah, we're gonna be No, no. no. I mean we didn't we we were we were pretty jaded about that and had pretty low expectations from the, from the beginning. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of good in the long run, right? Yeah. I mean, we we were like, all right. I mean, no one else is coming to ask us to be on their label. <laughs> like, you know, at the very least, we'll have some funny stories about going to L.A. Yeah. That yeah. was like that was like it. So you like so when the when Static Prevails didn't. Um, do as well as maybe Capital Records were hoping it would do. You guys were like, "Well, who gives a fuck?" Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, <laughs> we we were tour, we were touring on. I mean, the whole time we were touring on our own anyway, and we were you know meeting other bands, uh, you know, who 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 uh, we liked what they did. They liked what we did. We just had the same kind of mindset about how you should operate. Um, you know, we were making connections on the ground and we were making an effort to tour on our own, even when no one was there, it was like still fun. It's still something we wanted to do. And it, the, the, the business side of things has always happened in the background. Yeah. We were just focused on what we were doing. A lot of bands. So if the business side of things isn't going right mightn't have the strength in, in the group to be able to carry on as in well I, what are you doing what are you doing it for yeah like but but if, the, the, there's a comfort blanket i suppose in knowing that you've got a, a label behind you and all the rest of it but i think now more than ever than for being in a band that comfort blanket doesn't exist for anybody really if you have a comfort because if you're if you're if you're placing all your comfort on a label being behind you like <laughs> prepare to be uncomfortable my friend yeah like i from the very beginning we always knew mm. that the less you have to rely on anybody to do what you want to do the better off you're going to be and you cannot you cannot um really you cannot get hung up on things that are beyond your control was was clarity the the next record was it on capital records yeah as well Clarity is a different beast to Static um, Prevails in in terms of like it did did it do better like in in your eyes I, I'm I'm talking better in terms of commerciality rather than in, sure. in, in terms of um, reception. It did better on both, really. Yeah, I mean, more people knew who we were, and commercially, it did better. But. It didn't do great. Yeah, it wasn't flying off the shelves, but I mean, it got it got um, into a movie. Like Lucky Denver Mint got into a movie. Uh huh. And what was the scene? What's that? What was the movie? Oh, it was it was never been kissed with Drew Barrymore. Uh, what was the scene? Is it when she's kissed? 
Spoiler alert, she gets kissed. <laughs> oh my God, I'm not watching it now. Um, but Clarity, is, it was like a more of a slow burner of a record in terms of like wh- when it started to receive the sort of critical success. It was one of those ones where kind of a mass cult status yeah, like two, o- maybe, over the years. Maybe, maybe 2007, it started, people started really finding out about it's it. That's kind of weird though, isn't it? Like when... When you you you're so past. I mean, it. now yeah, now it's weird. You can you can you've written so many albums since then, but people like really love this record, but maybe yeah. they didn't know it at the time. How do you yeah? Do you think about stuff like that, or are you just like, well, that's an album, whatever. People will pick it up when they pick it up. I think that. Do you think about it, albums? It and takes it, time. It takes. It takes a minute. To really, I mean, what makes music special, I feel, is like you you are able to sit with it, you're able to live with it, and it comes along with you for your personal journey, and you build your own associations with it. Then it becomes special. Then it becomes yours. And that that doesn't happen, like, overnight. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen over a summer. It happens, like over it could be it takes time for that so i mean i'm not i'm not surprised that you know a, a record four year four year or more years older becomes someone's favorite record like i totally get that mm. um but it is strange like this it is strange and a huge compliment that this long after that happened that people are still connecting with it and still it means something I read somewhere that somebody referred to it as the best emo album ever. <laughs> How does that sit with you? How does the term emo sit with you? Um, what does it really? It's fine. What does it really mean? Exactly. I mean, for me, I th- I feel like sort of like punk rock. You know, like what's that mean? It it could mean yeah. something really different or depending in, on indie. How, indie has like indie. Indie could be a million different things or alternative. <laughs> you know, it's like all those things. Like, yeah, sure, you might have a personal frame of reference for what that is, but that's going to be really different from somebody else, like <laughs> punk or hardcore. Someone, someone who grew up in Southern California mm-hmm. is going to have a, a lot different idea of hardcore when they think about it compared to someone who grew up like on Long Island, New York, or or uh, uh, or or uh, or Berlin, but emo's a different one with with you guys because I don't feel like that that term really existed pre like late nineties. I feel like I like, feel like the, the Cure would if the Cure came out now, the Cure would be an emo band. But back in the eighties, with New Romantic and all the rest of it, they were kind of like a goth, a goth rock band that wrote pop songs, right? Whereas if they came out now, they'd be an emo band. Whereas I don't, I can't think of any band other than any any band pre nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, I see. I feel like it. For me, if it describes anything at all, it's sort of like uh, my graduating class of of colleagues. Mm. Who are those colleagues? Like, who would you put in? Who's in that class? Well, like Get Up Kids and uh, Boys Life and Christy Front Drive and, you know, obscure people that you probably, that no one really remembers or knows now, but, like, meant a lot to to me. And it went through a second wave then after after that. Like, um, the sort of My Chemical Romance kind of emo took on a whole new phase of, like, heavy makeup and quite legitimately wanting to pull their own heart out of their their chest. Uh Uh-huh. 
See, for me, for me, if it meant anything at all, it was kind of more about like it was synonymous with hardcore, which for me, yeah. I know is, is just my own personal experience with it. It was like really um, dynamic, really ab- aggressive, really abrasive, uh, you know, uh, you know, dealt with like extreme like personal statements or, or, or it could be extreme like political statements, often, oftentimes like kind of weaving your personal experience in with something that that is like a larger social issue mm. um and you know th- that's it's odd a little bit because that's not 100 percent of what we do at all yeah you you must get this quite a lot um with, with people people my age like i i had three albums that i associate with me pursuing playing in bands, releasing labels and all the rest of it. My three third of records um getting into music was for you know, first year at school, you're like what, like eleven, twelve? Um and I had your album, um, Bleed American, and I listened to it to death. And then I swapped it um in class for a Pixies record. And he got the Jimmy Eat World album, and then he started a band <laughs> after that, which ended up sounding quite similar to Jimmy Eat World. And then the Strokes was sort of thrown in there on top of yeah. of all of those as well. So like, I have real vivid memories and some of my happiest music memories of just sitting and rotating three records for about a, a, a year. So like, you know, you must get a lot of people like myself who kind of come up to you and go. Dude, that album, it changed my life. I get a lot of I get a lot of like <laughs> sentences that start with dude. Dude. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. It's cool. Yeah, but like when you when you when you sort of were rocking up to to Bleed American, you weren't on a label, you didn't have um, management yeah. and and now speaking to you like I understand that you just like go, oh, well, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't really matter. Um what was it like going in to record that record because you recorded it with the same producer you'd done the previous two? What what felt different about that record than the ones that went before nothing no no did you just feel like you like did you the process was the same yeah i mean every time you record you learn a little bit about recording mm-hmm. you learn about like the process of it you learn about what what you can do to execute your idea becomes a little clearer you know that path mm. um so, you know, we were just trying to, you know, make the best record possible with the ideas we had with what we knew about making records. Um, and it just felt familiar. Did it, be, know, like, did it feel exciting? Because like... Oh, it always, it's always exciting. Yeah. Like I'm in a studio most of the time when I'm at home uh-huh. and it's still, it's exciting every day. Do you, do, you, do you still get that like, oh my God, that sort of road to Damascus light falling down on you? I've, oh, I've, all the I've, time. I find the next bit. Yeah, I mean that's the main thing that keeps you going. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it's all about. Like that's the that's the best thing about this whole deal is um when the light turns on when you realize an idea, you know, when when you when you when you hear something in your head and then you hear it played back. Like that journey is what it's all about for me anyway. Did you guys you you worked day jobs while you were doing this? Yeah. It's like crazy to think that like you'd have to work day job with when you've got an album that is so successful now, um, and it was so successful when it when it came out. Like you know, the middle went straight into the top five, and the the records platinum. Like the idea of when you were actually able to sell physical records, 
um to have yeah. a day job around that stage is almost a little bit foreign to me like looking at people who are like you know quote unquote rock stars at that time well i think like at the at the time when bleed american actually came out and we started touring for that um that's kind of when we quit jobs just because we had so much touring booked yeah, it'd be yeah. impossible to keep a job and we figured like well <laughs> what well, what jobs we doing um all kinds of stuff i was working retail mm-hmm. at an art supply store um I think Tom, the other guys like Tom and Rick had temp jobs, which they'll just put you to work at wherever's hiring. Like you can choose perfect like for light industrial. Yeah, you're in town for like a week in between tours. I need to pick up something. Like okay, I can go, uh, um, you know, work in the the warehouse at this bread company. That's yeah, right. you'd be in a school cafeteria with a hairnet on. <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> whatever, it doesn't matter. Did you leak your own unreleased tracks from that album onto Napster? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> well, we were going. Whose idea to... was it to do like really like because that didn't really happen where you bands would release their own stuff. It happens a lot after, but not at that stage. We just wanted to ex- to try that out. Like we were going to Europe for the first time, and our records weren't distributed over there. Like no one, we didn't have like a partner that was putting out. Even though, um, I guess EMI would have been the parent company for Capital in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't know who we were. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the people at the Capitol building Jimmy who? didn't know who we were. And we had two echoes out on their label. Um, so we're like, okay, what can we do? Well, let's see see what this does. <laughs> What's this button do? <laughs> and yeah, I mean it I think I think people in Europe are a little bit faster to adopt uh streaming and file sharing as like a, a, a viable thing. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so we came over to to like did our first tour in germany and people were from like you could tell people knew some of the some of the the, the newer things we were doing god like, bless you illegally downloading germans yeah <laughs> yeah well no it was like you know that's what we wanted yeah no one else is putting out our music over there so like you may as well not? do it yourself yeah i love that I, I love the sort of like you just grab the bull by the horns and I mean, you're lucky you didn't have the label after you, like going here. What are you doing with this? Well, they didn't know. Like we, that material was new and it wasn't part of our deal with them Mm. at that point. So I don't think there could have been something they did. We wouldn't have cared if they. What one of we were? We would go to like the we'd go to Capitol, and we would go like to the college radio department, Mm. and we would go to the product closet. Which is something that existed back then. I've been, I've been. They've got like warehouses and stuff. I've, I've filled my boots with albums. Before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would take all of our own copies of our records, and yeah. then we'd ship them to Germany and sell <laughs> them to like indie record shops there. You, de- you guys are definitely a band who were influenced by like DC hardcore. Like you were like <laughs> kind of. Yeah, you were try- yeah. trying to be well, DIY I mean, like, on a major. Do you know? Yeah, I mean, like Fugazi is like the ultimate example of of of. You know, no one like we're going to help ourselves because, mm. and we're going to control the aspect of how we want to present ourselves because no one else is going to do it like we're going to do it. Yeah. So you get, get the major labels to print it and then you'll just take them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Uh, one of the questions I'm sure you've been asked a million bajillion times, but I, I'd love, I'd like to ask it too and put myself at the very back of a, a long queue of asking the, the question about the, the Twin Tower attacks on September 11th and the knee and bleed American and, and, and changing it. I'm not like really interested in what, what happened immediately afterwards, but or immediately then, but what, what was like the sort of fallout of that? And like, 
was that just an awkward time for such a great record? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we put that record out late summer and then September happens. <laughs> and it's like, huh. Mm. All right. Like, Shit, we need to we need to change well, this up. Well, yeah, I mean, we worked too hard on that record to have the experience of it to not have it to not get a fair shot with it and no one was going to you know yeah even though i mean the song bleed american is more about like uh the at least my my interpretation at at the time of that was like you know the uh american american experience of self-medication to get by through your daily life man that's more topical than ever right now right yeah yeah i mean but so it wasn't it wasn't a political statement at all it certainly wasn't a did was there a, fallout from it yeah oh yeah like uh you know the song bleed american was our first single and then it like instantly no one was playing it anymore so you guys you started out as a as a teenage punk band and kind of sort of morphed into um, what, what, whatever what you, we what are, you, what you have become today. Yeah. Um, but you've always held the same members in the group, apart from the very, very yeah. beginning. So from 1995 to now, you've had the same lineup. That's that's incredible. You must have a great group therapist. Yeah, <laughs> I've watched some, like some kind of monster. I've watched yeah, some yeah. kind of monster. I know how you bands work. Yeah, that's Metallica just that's ruining not the, it. That's not the best guitar solo. Oh, it's not the guitar solo. The best guitarist in the world uh. will play. <laughs> it just makes me cringe so much, especially Isn't when the great? Th- especially when the therapist is passing lyric notes. Like, uh I mean, James um, James Hatfield is not ever going to be remembered for his lyrics. Metallica are never going to be remembered for their lyrics. Man, yeah. No, I think uh, you just have to keep things fun. <clears throat> you know, you got to protect the place that music comes from. Because that's that's what's gonna keep you going. Like it's um that that and a certain amount of respect for each other. I feel like it's okay if you get into a like a heated argument about especially about something creative. Because that means you're all I mean, you're all fighting for the same thing. Like I wouldn't want to work with people that didn't have strong feelings about something creative mm-hmm. you know like that's cool mm-hmm. i don't i don't view that as a threat to anything i, feel, I view that as like we're, we're we're attacking this thing because we want the same goal you know it's like we might disagree on how it gets there um but that's beneficial too because like that that encourage both that usually what happens is like and I think like this is why this is a pitfall for a lot of people is like, you know, creative challenges. Like there's being dicks to each other, yeah, which yeah. is which is never gonna fly. But then if you survive general respect for each other, then there's like the creative level of, of things, like where people might have disagreements about it. But you have to realize that like, okay, the way you get around that is like, okay, so I totally disagree with your idea. I think that's gonna ruin what I like about this thing. Well, you know, what do you what what are they really saying? Like, why are they saying their idea? Like, you might disagree about that. Like, a I don't know, a producer might come to like if you're working with another band member, you're working with like a producer or whatever. 
is they, they might say like, I really want, uh, uh, you know, loot. This song <laughs> needs loot on this section right here. It needs a lot of loot. I'm like, loot. Who who wants who wants to hear a lute? <laughs> but okay, so that's a disagreement. But it's harpsichord. Why? It clearly needs harpsichord. No, it, lute. Well, like, let's try both. Well, I mean, it's not about okay. So yeah, I mean, you you. Why do they want a lute there? Yeah, it's like does that mean that what's happening, what's existing, isn't a strong enough hook? Does that mean that the dynamic? element of the song there isn't like uh effective like mm-hmm. is, is it lacking a melody like you can you can come to a, a a place that that meets why they're suggesting the thing that fits with what your sensibility might be like i don't think there should be loot there but what if what if there was what if there was another element that did something yeah like you can get to a compromised position that's something neither of you thought that usually makes the song better this is something that you like i've obviously worked on like uh over the years because you've been consistent like every three years there's an album since 2001 there's been one in 2004 seven since 95 since 90 sorry yeah 95 96 it's it's been like three years ever since but then there was a three albums before that um you've always been consistent so like you know the the creative relationship between you guys in the studio on album one two three four must be different to what it is now because the level of respect that you probably had at the beginning but it must be so much deeper now that you've all sort of lived a life together um yeah no it's 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 about the same i mean but yeah there is that having so much experience with each other is valuable Mm. and that's you know we we recognize the value one of the definitely the the things that like i i because i played in the band for nine years from like 14 to 23 and god knows the amount of times we kicked the shit out of each other in in the band on the way home from gigs this <laughs> that and the other it was pretty pretty volatile like yeah. and you know, by the very end we kind of got it completely sorted you knew when somebody needed their time or you or, or whatever and then by the very time you figure it out it's over yeah <laughs> so i think I've, I've got a little bit of a head on that now um uh so the new album i want to talk about that obviously jesus like like, like why why are we why are we here right now you've got a new album to 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 chat to me about and i want to chat about it. it's called survival and it's coming out on friday which means nothing to the people who listen to this right now because it's probably not going to come out for another couple of weeks so it'll be out now um, out now out now do you need a voiceover guy for it the new Jimmy Eat World album. It always, it's, it's always an adjective as well. So it's like the new Jimmy Eat World album. Or no, the fantastic or the incredible. So you pick your adjective. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give it to you for free. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Ass kicking. The ass kicking Jimmy Eat World <laughs> album. Survival on iTunes. And then they make you do it again. On Spotify. On Apple Music, on on the Moon, on available. the Moon, Pandora, <laughs> on Crack, Crack, <laughs> available now. Um, so the, this this new album is a very like I, obviously we haven't spoke about it, but I did a bit of reading up about it, and I haven't heard it yet actually because like nobody sent me a link, <laughs> so I'll hear it on, I'll hear it on Friday when oh, everybody man. else does. It's a bummer. Um, 
but I mean, it, 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 it's the most intimate and personal to you at the moment, is it? I still haven't heard it. Nobody sent me anything. This is like the, the worst case scenario for me is to come in and talk about a record I haven't heard yet. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like uh, for somebody who hasn't heard our album yet, which is everybody, um, I would describe it as um, there is a core fundamental thing that we do that that I feel um, we're good at. Or I feel is like a strength of ours. And it goes along with just what we like, you know, what we, we, of course you're going to most often do the thing that you like. And it just happens to be a strength of ours. Like the, the you know, the melodic guitar rock band is, is, is how I describe us. And so it's, um, it's definitely weighted more toward guitar rock. Is it a heavier record than your last one? Relatively, Does, yes. I mean, it, there's like a, there's a ceiling on how heavy we get, <laughs> but it's def- why though? Why like like can you can you not like rock out a chug? How's that go again? Uh, uh, that was really bad timing. It was really bad timing. Oh man, that's why I'm. There's a there's a there's a what band are they from? There's a Florida. It was like a Florida hardcore band that had like a, a side project called Judd Judd. It's really the, worth the, your time to look it up. Judd Judd. Yeah, it's all Judd, Judd, it's all Judd, acapella. Judd Judd. Judd Judd. And like print out lyrics. That sounds good. That's, that's it. That it's like an album of that. And that's like right, like right, left, Judd Judd, Judd Judd, right, Judd Judd, Judd Weenie, Judd Judd, Judd. It's amazing. The Capitol Records send them as well. No, no. The pa- <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like a shame, tragic overlook by all major labels that Judd Judd never got a record deal. Um, they were the Ad- Adele of heavy metal acapella. Yeah, man. Just it, yeah, <laughs> they were the Susan Olsen of of uh, of acapella heavy metal. Just overlooked forever. I mean, maybe they should just keep with it. You know, like they'll, they'll get dis- discovered. Is there um, is there there's a there's a massive sax solo on this I've, I've read and I'm I'm really excited to hear it. Yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah. Like, are you going full on Clarence Clements on this? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, there's this thing. There's this thing, there's this gag that we always thought was funny. Like in the '80s, there's like you know, this ripping solo would come in by an instrument you hadn't heard all song, and then it fades out <laughs> immediately. Like at least with Baker Street, it starts off with the sax, right? That's all you remember. Yeah, but with yeah, exactly. Can you like? I mean, that's a good. I don't good have no question. idea. Could you sing the first no. lyric of Baker Street? No, no. I have no idea what the verses sound like, even after this long. Can you say it's? But it's it, it's when you write a killer riff. Like, can you sing? That's kind of like the, that's kind of like the chorus of Last Christmas, like on our cover of that. Yeah, we took out all the verses. There's no verses. And no one, no one noticed. No one said anything. It's like it's like a huge, it's like a huge song of ours, like that that cover of Last Christmas we did. There's no verses, and no one said anything. Guess got rid of all of them. <laughs> well, maybe that's maybe that's a, a sign of things to come. Everybody's got short attention spans at the minute, anyway. So just just get rid of verses, get rid of choruses. Maybe the next don't or bore not us. choruses. Get, get to, to the, the chorus. chorus. Yeah. That's that's the one. Um, also. I'm excited because like um, the you've got uh, the lead singer of AFI on on one of the tracks. 
as well. Yeah. Tell me about yeah. that. Well, I mean, the, it's, 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 it's funny because what we did, I was working on it. And I was like, man, this, this sounds like something AFI would sing. <laughs> like these backup vocals. It sound like AFI backups. I'm like, well, I've got his number. I know Davey. <laughs> Dude, you want to do AFI vocals on this song? <laughs> it's amazing to get to that point where you can just go, hmm. all right, Clarence, we'll get Clarence Camerson on this. It's like, yeah, this sounds like this sounds like something Davey would sing. I, would, I should just get Davey to sing it. So what, like the, uh, the album comes out um, Friday. Friday. And... October 18th, Are you if this is in the past. The majority of my listeners to this, there is uh, quite a good few in the in the US, but mainly in the UK. Are you going to come back and play? Yeah, of course. Because like, yeah. like, obviously there's a date. No, nah, man. You man fuck it. you guys. Fuck the UK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got to come back and play Reading and Leeds, right? Like that's, oh, I'd love to. That's the big rock. I'd love to. You know a festival. You gotta, yeah, yeah. You gotta it's, be it's, like, like, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's a... Crazy experience. I'd that, love to come back and I play. I want to see Jimmy World on that main stage at, at Reading and Leeds like that. Oh, that man. Is gonna go off. Yeah. That is such a, that, yeah, that would be such a moment. What, like, do you have like favorite shows that you, you play here in the UK or is it like, I mean, you go all around the world. Like, yeah. it, it must be hard for anything to stand out at the minute. I always think of the Simpsons gag. I think it's Spinal Tap or in the Simpsons and he looks at the back of the guitar and he's like, hello, Springfield. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, playing Brixton Academy it's a sick venue. was 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 a, a big deal because mm. I remember like there was a like growing up you'd like I saw there was a there was a bootleg with Faith No More playing at Brixton Academy. I thought, oh, what Brixton Academy? Yeah, oh, wow. That was, that, I and mean, then we get a chance to play there. It's just like, oh wow, this is real. People are bootlegging yours. Then are you probably doing it yourself? Knowing knowing what you guys <laughs> yeah, about? knowing what we're up to. <laughs> yeah, a little side hustle bootlegging our own records. Big time. Um, well, dude, uh, Jim, th- 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 thank you, thank you so much um, for for um, giving me the time to, to yeah to speak yeah. To thanks you. a lot, man. Nice chatting with you. Good luck with the 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 new record, and I look forward to seeing you on the main stage at loads of festivals over the the summer in the UK. No I pressure. Like I like that positive thinking. No pressure. Thanks. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.